0: We come to Matthew 26. Matthew is weaving his, together, his story together masterfully and beautifully. As Jesus' arrestors have taken him, to get him away to the palace of the high priest Caiaphas, he's told us that lurking in the background is Peter. And Peter has followed him as far as the courtyard of Caiaphas' palace. Last week, as John preached, he had left Peter there. And there's a reason that Matthew has told us that. There's a reason that he left Peter there in the courtyard as he went to describe the awful scene of Jesus's trial. Is that in Matthew's mind, there's to be a comparison in the mind of his reader. There's to be a a comparison in our minds. There in Caiaphas's courtyard, Peter is there, and he's he's an onlooker of the end. He's an onlooker of this trial. He can be there, and he can hear as the grunts are coming from Jesus, as the wind is being knocked out of his lungs. He's he's there, as he can hear the judgment of blasphemy coming down and being declared from from Caiaphas's mouth. He can hear as these people are bearing false witnesses, bearing false witness against Christ, saying that Jesus said things and did things that. Peter himself knows, in fact, that Jesus did not say and did not do. He's there as Jesus is being mocked and people are are striking him and swelling his face and blacking his eyes and saying, hey, if you were the Messiah, tell us who hit you. Tell us who struck you. Jesus' character is being put on trial. Jesus is being not just put on trial to see if he is really the Messiah, to see if he is an insurrectionist, to see if he is some type of revolutionary, but in fact, his character is being put on trial to see if he is who he says he is, to see if he will stand up uh, to all of the things that he has taught, all of the things that he has preached, and yet out of all of the mocking, all of the spitting, all of the striking, all of the humiliation, Jesus does not cave. Jesus does not back down. And yet Matthew has left Peter here lurking in the shadows, lurking in the courtyard to let us know that he too is going to be before his judge. That, G- that Peter is going to be just like, just like Matthew Peter has made some bold claims himself to see if his words are going to be proven hollow, to see if his character is going to be proven strong. And so this morning what we're going to see is we're going to see if if Peter, if he is who he thinks he is. If he is who he says he is. If you have your Bibles, would you go ahead now and turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. When you, if you get there, if you would stand with me. Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to do the most courageous thing I'm going to do all morning and open this bottle of water now. It takes great courage. All right. We're going to finish chapter 26 this week, and then next week we'll start my, my favorite series of the year as we begin Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas. Matthew chapter 26, beginning verse 69, God's word says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. You may be seated. So Peter had followed Jesus as far as the courtyard. In fact, John tells us that it's likely that Jesus, that Peter was not allowed to go farther than the courtyard. And so he's, he's sitting there, and you can imagine that as Peter is sitting there, and he's listening, and he's taking in all of the scenes, he's, he's tired And he's getting tireder and tireder as the night wears on and it's going into early morning now. And he's replaying the night's events. And and if you can imagine that as Peter is replaying the night's events and he's hearing how Jesus is being mocked. And he's hearing how Jesus is being judged. He's hearing as Jesus is being struck. And Jesus, he knows, is soon to be condemned. And he hears that ultimate condemnation of blasphemy, a, a, a execution, an offense that warrants execution in Jerusalem. And he knows, he knows that everybody is going to identify him with Jesus. He is the outspoken one. He is the one that is identified as a leader of, of the disciples, one of the ones that is always seen with Jesus. And he's a loud mouth. He's one that people are going to most quickly identify with Jesus. And you can imagine what he's thinking. Did I really cut off the guy's ear? What was I thinking? What was I thinking? And so you can think, as Peter is replaying this in his mind, and the tireder that he gets, the worse the potential outcomes get in his mind, right? Isn't that what we all do? Like, you know, like if you have kids, or maybe even in your own life, like the tireder they get, the more dramatic they get, right? Or, or maybe in your your life, but, you know, you start on that vacation and you start on the drive down and you, everybody's so happy and so excited. And then by the time you get there, you just want to kill each other, right? And, and, and you're, just, you're just worn out and you're exhausted. And so you can imagine in Peter's life, he's exhausted, he's worn down, he's paranoid. And by this point, he's just at his wits end. And, and at that time, this young girl, this young girl, she comes up to him and she's probably not even 12 years old. She's probably not even 12 years old, okay? So we're, we're not talking about a legion of Roman soldiers here, okay? We're, we're not talking about a knight, okay? We're, we're not talking about a guy with an AK-47. We're talking about a young servant girl. She comes up and she says, hey, hey, aren't you with, aren't you with the Galilean? Or, or aren't you with that guy that they're over there talking? And what does Peter say? What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Now, this is not the self-assured, courageous, like, like confident, assertive Peter that we're used to, is it? Th- th- this is this is not that that really like I know what I'm talking about. I've got something to say. I'm gonna say it. You're gonna listen to me. I'm ready to rebuke the son of man, Peter, that we're used to, is it? No, th- this is. This is an evasive comment. This is this is. I, I'm not going to say anything at all. This is no comment, right? Like this is a, a politician talking. This is a very evasive re- response to this young girl. He said. He looks back at her and he says. I don't really know what you're talking about here. I, I don't. I don't really. I don't really understand the question. Could you rephrase that? Like, could you use that in a sentence for me? Because I, I'm not really understanding what, what you what you're saying for, to me. Now, this is the first real glimpse that we have of Peter away from Jesus. Have you thought about that? This is the first real glimpse that we have of Peter away from Jesus. And what we have is we have Peter, and he's made all of these claims. Peter has told Jesus, I am willing to die for you, Jesus. Just before, earlier in verses 32 and 34, Peter has said, Jesus, all of the other disciples, they may fall away. All of the other disciples, they may be cowards. All of the other disciples, they may betray you. All of the other disciples, they may be pansies. They may be wimps. But this guy, this guy, I've got guts. This guy, I've got a backbone. This guy, when it all hits the fan, I'm going to step up. I'm going to be your guy. I I am willing, if it requires me to die, Jesus, if it requires me to lay down my life so you can live, I am not going to back down. If there's anybody on this earth that you can count on, Jesus, you can count on me, right? So, so, So we have Peter here. And Peter's made some big claims. In fact, we've even seen in Peter's life that there have been times in which Peter has been willing to back those claims up, right? Like, so so he does it. So so Jesus is there. He's been praying. Now Peter has a napping problem, right? He he has a napping problem. He's been Jesus asked him to pray and he falls asleep in the garden. But when the soldiers show up, he does cut the guy's ear off. He does cut the guy's ear off, and so he swings and he cuts, and he's ready, to, so we have him standing there with Jesus, and he's ready to take on like a hundred soldiers and police officers. I mean, that's a pretty bad dude, right? I mean, that's, that shows something, but Jesus is there. Jesus is there. And so there's still in in Peter's mind this idea of this triumphal, uh, I'm going to take on the world with the Messiah and we're going to ascend to the right hand. But now, now he's separated from Jesus. He's standing by himself. And now he's going to have to find out, am I who I think I am? Am I who I think I am? And Peter's words are proven hollow. Peter's words are proven hollow. Hollow. In the presence of a mere slave girl, there is no valor to be found. As soon as Peter is away from Jesus, as soon as Peter is out from under the cover of Jesus' wing, he fails. And so there's this comparison that I think Matthew wants us to consider that's in his mind as he lays Jesus and he lays and he, and he puts Jesus and he puts Peter side by side here. So I want you to think about who Peter is. I want you to think about who Peter is. Peter's not just any disciple, right? Peter is the best of the disciples, we might put it that way, right? Like, if we think about all of the disciples, Peter is the one that is mentioned most frequently in the Gospels. He's the one talked about with the the greatest name recognition. He's the one that in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, it's on this rock that I'm going to build my church, right? Peter's the one that that when we think about the leader of the disciples he goes up on the mount of transfiguration. He's the one that makes the confession that that you are the Christ, you are the son of God. And Jesus says, "It is the Father in heaven that has given you this knowledge, right?" J- J- Peter is the one of the original four disciples that Jesus says, "I'm going to take you. I'm going to make you Fishers of men. He's recognized by the early church as being the leader of the disciples. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, he preaches the first sermon of Pentecost and over 2,000 people get saved. He's recognized as the spokesman of the disciples. And so when we think about the disciples, Peter is considered the cream of the crop, the best of the best, the, the leader, the courage, the guts, the brains. He is the the operation, right? And so he is representative, I believe, of the very best of mankind. The very best that man has to offer. He was selected by Jesus to go where Jesus is going, to do what Jesus has for him to do. He is one of the, the one that Jesus is going to use to establish his church, an everlasting church, an unstoppable church. And then we have the Son of Man. The Son of Man. We have Jesus himself who is facing a trial. Jesus himself who is facing his judges on earth. And we have both of them and they're in crisis and they're put beside one another so that we can compare their character. So that we can see both of them on trial, both of them in crisis and to see how they handle it. The best of man and the son of man. The best of man and the son of man. What do we see? Christ is proven that he is who he says he is. Christ is proven that his words are backed up. Christ is proven that he doesn't back up one iota. But the best that man has to offer, the best that man has to offer, offer, Peter who has made all of the claims, Peter that has followed after Christ, Peter that has said that he will die for the Son of Man, Peter that has identified the first among the disciples that Jesus is the Christ, crashes, and crumbles. I want you to think about this. In Matthew chapter 4, think about what happens. Satan takes Jesus out into the wilderness, right? And he tempts him three times. And Each time it escalates, right? Each each temptation was harder than the one before, right? And Jesus responds back with, with scripture. It, Jesus responds back, for it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, or you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, or you shall worship the Lord your God. And we have Peter here and he's going to be tempted three different times and each one of those is going to escalate. But what does Peter do? Peter collapses the first time and he collapses under the least duress before a a girl that's less than 12 probably. You take the best of man and in comparison to the son of man, the best of man is proven utterly impotent, weak, incapable of holding up. Peter thought this was impossible. Peter believed that he was loyal. Peter believed that he would stand the test of time. Peter believed that his love for the Lord Jesus would not go under, would not cave. But Peter, when the, when, when the going got tough and when all of life began to bear down and the winds of, of difficulty and trial beat against his house, he caved under the difficult question from a 12-year-old girl. Who, do you know him? Do you know him? In 1907, Edward Smith said this, I cannot imagine any condition which would cause a ship to founder. Modern shipbuilding has gone beyond that. And within five years, he would captain the unsinkable Titanic to the bottom of the Atlantic. You see... What Smith could tell us and what Peter has learned is that when you're too strong to fail, you're too weak to stand. When you're too strong to fail, you're too weak to fail to, fail, to stand. I wonder how many of us, we hear of people and, they, and the sin and the moral failure that they go into, and we stand there with our mouth agape and we are aghast that they could fall into a sin like that. That they could do something that is like that. That they would be capable of a sin like that. And we stand there with our mouths open and our eyes wide. And we think, how on earth could somebody do something like that? I am far too strong. I am far too godly. There is no way that I could ever do something like that. That, brothers and sisters, that is the posture of Peter. That is the man that says, I, captain, the unsinkable ship, who in just a few short years will be at the bottom of the Atlantic. Whenever we believe that we are too strong to fail, we are, in fact, too weak to stand. We, who are even the best, the best man, the best woman i have known far too many of them who believed themselves to be too strong who ended up at the bottom of the icc as they hit the icebergs of sin in this life and the winds and the storms sunk their life oh brothers and sisters brothers and sisters there's not a one of us there's not a one of us that is strong enough There is not a one of us that is strong enough as we separate ourselves from the Lord Jesus that is strong enough to stand up. There is not a one of us that as we separate ourselves from the Lord Jesus is able to stand the winds of this life. There is not a one of us that is able to sustain our own sinful nature. Our own sinful nature, in fact, will sink every single one of us. We are not strong enough. We are not good enough. We are not smart enough. We are not able enough. And if we believe that we are spiritual enough, if we believe we are seasoned enough, if we believe we are wise enough, if we believe we are experienced enough, if we believe we are old enough, if we believe we have seen enough, then we are the kind of person that God is pleased to look back and say, on this day when the rooster has crowed, you will have denied me three times. We will be the type of person that God will be pleased to humble. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I want you to think about what Peter says to the girl. He says to the girl, he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. In other words, you know what he says to her? He says to her absolutely nothing. And you know what Jesus calls that? A denial. A denial. Peter doesn't say, I don't love Jesus. Peter doesn't say, I reject Jesus. Peter doesn't say, I don't claim Jesus. Peter doesn't say I hate Jesus. Peter doesn't say I don't believe in Jesus. Peter says I don't understand the question. Peter says, can you repeat that? Peter says, Peter responds with a diplomatic, evasive, politically correct answer. Our generation is the greatest generation in the history of the world at saying nothing at all. And what the What Jesus says is that saying nothing is actually, in fact, a denial of who he is. Can I ask you? When religion comes up at work, do you back down into the corner? When religion comes up at school and Christianity comes up at school and the topic of Christ comes up at school, do you find a corner to cower down into? Brothers and sisters... That is not diplomatically correct. Evasion of Christ is a denial and rejection of Christ. Evasion is no better than atheistic rejection. Do you see this? Do you see this? Oh, brothers and sisters, let us not feel better about ourselves let us not feel better about ourselves because we can successfully crawlfish ourselves out of every situation to the nearest corner and feel as though we have not rejected Christ because we have not denied Christ. If we do not stand up for Christ, we have denied Him by our silence. Oh, church, let us stand up for the Christ that has stood up for us. Let us stand up for the Christ in grace and in mercy and in kindness. Let us stand up for Christ in speech and in deed for the glory that has come for us. For the Christ that was struck, for the Christ that was spat upon, for the Christ that endured wrath for you and I. Let us stand up for us. Let us not become experts in saying nothing, nothing instead let us become experts in articulating the gospel for a generation that needs the gospel more than any generation in history there are three million people in the state of alabama that are not born again and that's being generous we have a population of five million people and just on the most recent census out of five million people three million of them claim not to be born again that's the majority And in a community that we live in that is majority young, majority of them, majority of them are 50 and younger, majority, that number is going to be higher. Because that demographic, the younger you go, the higher the percentage goes of them that don't know the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is not a time for us to find our corners. This is not a time for us to relish in silence. This is a time for us to stand up and to worship the Lord. This is a time for us to come together and to love one another in spirit and in truth. This is a time for us to figure out how to engage in gospel conversation this generation in a way that will bring them into the truth. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us not be an expert in saying nothing. Let us not be experts in saying nothing. We'll see here that these denials begin to escalate. See, one of the disadvantages of being a loud person is that it's really difficult to blend in. All right, ask me how I know. But but one disadvantage to being loud is that you stand out everywhere that you go. And so, so Peter begins to show himself out of the courtyard here. All right. And so as, as Peter begins to show himself out of the courtyard here, he runs into yet another servant girl. And, and apparently, the servant girls here in Jerusalem were particularly bold. I imagine that it's kind of like Black Friday. And you know, like, like Black Friday around here, like at the beginning, you have all these sweet little college and, and uh, high school girls, and they're like being really sweet, and they're working their registers at Target, and they're so not. And by the end of it, they're like, what you got, man? You know, like, another TV? How many TVs you need? You know, like, come on, let's go, right? And and I imagine that, like, during the Passover, you got all these these servant girls, and they've been cleaning up after everybody, and they've been taking care of everybody, and waiting on everybody's table, and they're like, hey, fool, what are you doing? I'm not cleaning up after your mess. You're with that guy, right? And and, and so you can imagine that you have another servant girl. Peter is this loud guy, gregarious guy. Everybody kind of knows who he is. He's a Galilean. And, and so he's trying to kind of have this, this, this soft exit out of the courtyard. And he wants to just blend into the crowd, right? He just wants to just, just slip out and, and blend into the crowd. And yet, it ain't happening, all right? It ain't happening. He, he goes out, and and you'll notice that the, the second service, servant girl is more emphatic, and Peter's denial is more emphatic. You'll see this, this on both ends, all right? So, so the second servant girl, her, her calling out of Peter is more emphatic, because the first girl, she goes to Peter kind of more on an interpersonal level, right? Like, like, she goes to him personally, and she says, all right, you, like, like you're, you're, you're with Jesus, right? You're with that guy. And Peter says, I don't really know what you're talking about. But this girl, she doesn't so much go to Peter as she looks to the crowd and says, hey, I think that guy is with him. I think, I think Jesus is with him, right? Or I think Peter's with him. And then, so you can imagine, like, Peter's trying to slip out. And so he, like, he realizes I'm kind of cornered like a bobcat here. And so Peter's like, at this point, I'm going to really, I'm gonna have to really come guns a blazing here. And so Peter does what Jesus has taught us not to do in Matthew chapter five, right? And you can see in Matthew's mind as he's writing this gospel together, how he's bringing all of these things together. Because remember in Matthew chapter five, what Jesus said, don't speak in oaths, right? He said, don't speak in oaths. Instead, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. But what does Peter do right here? He says, I swear, but God as my witness. And essentially he perjures himself. He says, God as my witness, I don't know this man. I don't know who he is. I've never seen him before. Like, who's this guy? Like, what is that? Like, I don't know this man. I'm telling all of y'all, God as my witness, I don't know this guy. And so you can see this beginning to, to ramp that up. And these are, remember, these are the same lips, these are the very same lips that have made the confession that, that, that astounded the other disciples in Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, remember, we've, we've mentioned this earlier. This is the, the one who said that, that this is the Christ. This is the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, yes, this is knowledge from above. And on this, on this rock, I will build my church. And all of them worshiped and were awestruck, right? This is the same lips that confess that. And here he is, and he is declaring emphatically, swearing, God as my witness, God as my witness, I don't even know who this is. I don't even know who this is. Now, this presents to us a dilemma. This presents to us a dilemma. Like if if we're tracking and we're, we're putting all this together, this presents to us a dilemma because Jesus has taught us something in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Listen to this. Listen to what he says. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So, like, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Do you hear what Jesus says? Like, if you remember, we, we read this like the, a, a, a a more expanded uh, passage two weeks ago, like in Matthew chapter ten. Jesus says, like, if you don't follow me all the way to the end, if you don't persevere and endure all the way to the end, you're not one of my disciples. Right here, he says, if you deny me, if you you claim me before men, I'll claim you before the Father. If you deny me, he says it explicitly, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. So what do we do with that? How, How do we do, because here's Peter, and what is Peter doing? Jesus uses the word explicitly. Peter is denying Jesus. So what do we do with that? Are we to believe that Jesus isn't going to claim Peter before the Father because he's denying Jesus before men? That's obviously what he's doing. It's it's, It's apparent what he's doing. No, because it's not the end. It's not the end yet. Oh, God is gracious because it's not the end. Christ is gracious because it's not the end. You see, Jesus didn't just predict Peter's denial. Jesus also predicted Peter's repentance. He didn't just predict Peter's denial. He also predicted Peter's repentance. In Luke chapter 22, this is what Jesus says. He says, he said, Satan has asked me for you. Well, that'd make you tremble, wouldn't it? That would make you, and if it doesn't, you don't understand the whole situation of spiritual warfare. Satan asked me for you, Peter. He asked me that you might be sifted like wheat. He asked me that I might give you over to him, that I might let you be burned. But I've prayed for you, Peter. I've prayed for you, Peter. I've prayed that you might be made strong. Oh, Peter, you're going to deny me? Your, your, your heart is going to fail you, Peter. You're going you're to deny me. You're going to be turned away from me, Peter. Oh, but Peter, Peter, when you turn back, when you repent, Peter, when, when you weep bitterly, Peter, in that moment, in that moment, Peter, go and strengthen the others. When that happens, Peter, when you turn back, Peter, go and encourage everybody else. Not if, not if. He says, when. Yo. He says, when? Y'all, he says, when? In Luke 22, he says, when? Y'all hear what's happening here? We have Jesus in the middle of his most despairing moment. In the middle of his greatest trial, on the edge of his death, in the midst of his passion. And he's looking in the eyes of a man that will betray him. He's looking in the eyes of a man that will deny him. And you know what he's doing to that man? Shepherding his heart. Preparing him for his own Denial preparing him for his own repentance. And he says to him, and he says to him, when, when, when you repent, when your heart turns back to me, when you realize the desperation of your denial, when you realize the desperation of your repentance, go and minister to the others. Go and and care for them. Go and pray for them. Go and encourage them. Them. oh brothers and sisters brothers and sisters just because peter quit on jesus jesus didn't quit on peter just because peter quit on jesus jesus didn't quit on peter see this this is the glory of election This is the glory of election. There's controversy over this word. There's fear over this word. There's trepidation over this word. But in the New Testament, there is courage found in this word. You know what Romans 8 says? This is why Paul says it. He says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is Christ Jesus who has justified. It is Christ Jesus who has justified. If Peter's faith was dependent upon his faithfulness, he would have fallen out of the fold. If Peter's faithfulness was was dependent upon his faithfulness, he would have fallen out of the fold. But do you know what? Do you know what? It wasn't dependent on Peter. He was one of Christ's. Christ had brought him into the fold. Christ had brought him into the discipleship community. Christ had brought him into the church. And Christ would hold him fast. Peter wasn't holding on to Jesus. Jesus was holding on to Peter. Peter wasn't... Running toward Jesus. Jesus was running toward Peter. It wasn't about all about what Peter was going to do for Jesus. It was about what Jesus was doing for Peter. Jesus was holding on to him, and nothing was going to pluck him out of his hand. Oh, brothers and sisters, you might fail Jesus, but Jesus isn't going to fail you Jesus isn't going to fail you. You might quit on Jesus, but Jesus is never going to quit on you. I want you to see on the front end, Jesus is preparing Peter for the day that Peter would quit on him. Brothers and sisters, we're going to find something in this world that is more appealing to you than Jesus. At some point, someday, You'll find something in this world that is more appealing to you than Jesus is in that moment and you will quit on Jesus. It may be a man or a beach house or the marriage that you've always wanted. It may be sports dreams for your children. Whatever it is, you will quit on Jesus. But if you're His, if you're really His, He won't quit on you. We let go of Jesus trying to hold on to all of the mesmerizing treasures our neighbors parade in front of us, trying to find happiness in all of the deceitful ways and promises that we can finally have and be really happy and really exhilarated for the first time in a long while, and we quit on Jesus. But if we quit on Jesus and we are really His, He will never quit on Him. So maybe you'd say, what difference does it make then if I sin? What difference does it make if I sin? Now, this, is, this is what the Muslim would say to us. This is their pushback on the grace that we love. This is their pushback on the, on the grace that we preach. And here's what we must say. The kindness of Jesus is never a license to sin. The kindness of Jesus is meant to bring you to repentance. If you visit the cross of Jesus and come away with a license to sin, then you have come to the cross and received your own condemnation, not your salvation. For true children of the cross cannot visit the bloodstained marker of divine love without crying out in godly sorrow for their sin and awesome praise for their salvation. Children of the cross, having been set free from the penalty of sin, can never sin freely again. Brothers and sisters, this was the experience that Peter had there. This was the experience that Peter had there. But the third time that he was asked... By the third time that he was asked, he was undone. He was finished. The whole crowd has been risen up against him. And they asked him, don't you know this man? We can tell by your accent. See, there's this this hint of prejudice against the Galileans. You can hear it all the way through, right? It's brought up every single time. You're with Jesus, the Galilean. You're with with Jesus of Nazareth. We can can hear it in your accent. This is in a way that only a good Southerner can appreciate. There was a prejudice of of those from Jerusalem against those who were Galileans. The Galileans had trouble with the the guttural sounds of the the Hebrew language. And so they would look down upon them kind of the same way as a Southerner might go up north and we have trouble with our ING sounds and and they look down upon us as though we are their intellectual uh, inferiors. And so the, those from Jerusalem would look down upon those that are from Galilee and they would, they would be snarky toward them. And they were looking at Peter and they were saying, you you uneducated fool, we know who you are. We know exactly who you are. You're, you're with him. And, 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 and Peter uses the word anathema. It's a, it's a curse and, and he doesn't have an object. So he's saying one of two things. And he's saying either damn me to hell or to hell with him. If I'm telling you the truth, if I'm lying to you, I don't know him. Either of them, devastating comments. But as Peter continues to declare, no sooner does he get those words out of his mouth, does the rooster crow. And Luke tells us in his account that as the rooster crows, as Jesus is in the midst of his own, his own trial, as Jesus is in the midst of his own mocking, still concerned with the shepherding of Peter's heart, he looks and he locks eyes with Peter. And Peter begins to weep bitterly, so bitterly that it said that he could never hear a rooster crow for the rest of his life, according to church tradition, without hearing a rooster crow and weeping. You see, as Peter declared, I don't know the man. I do not know him. He knew Jesus quite well, but the man that he didn't know was himself. Peter was not who he thought he was. That devastated him. Devastated him. As devastating as it was to Peter, as painful a reminder as it was for Peter to realize that he wasn't who he thought he was, he wasn't the man that he bl- believed he was. It is as beautiful a reminder for us as we look ahead to the blood-stained cross, the cursed tree upon which Jesus died, that even the best of men needed that tree, the tree upon which the curse of God was poured out upon the son of man for the best of men, need the best uh, Christ had to offer himself you aren't strong enough you aren't wise enough you aren't good enough you needed the son of man to come to take your place your good works add to your condemnation don't take away from it your hard work adds to your condemnation doesn't take away from it but the son of man has come He has come, and He has come to take away from you all of that unrighteousness upon Himself and to give to you His own righteousness for no effort of your own, that you might come into the kingdom of God and be secured forever, so that even on that day in which you quit on Him, He will never quit on you. Brothers and sisters, let's pray together.